On this episode of Come Pray With Me, I will be interviewing Angad Paul Singh from Gudwara Sikh Sangat, Boston. He will be sharing the relationship Sikhi have with Waheguru, how Gudwaras have adapted to COVID-19 regulations, and the meaning behind several sacred garbs that Sikhi wear, often referred to as the Five Kings. Thank you so much for being on the show today. So uh, could you tell us a little bit about who Waheguru is and what their significance to the Sikh community is? If I break down the word Waheguru, uh, it, uh, Wahe is mean, means wonderful and uh, Guru is addressing God. So, it's, it's, so in a literal, literal sense, it means, oh, wonderful God. So it's summarizing the entire attributes, the qualities, as we uh, understand them in a single word, Vaheguru, which is also called the Gur Mantar. It is basically the essence that we need, that we have been asked to imbibe uh, within ourselves. Now, uh, I can go a little bit uh, in depth into that as well uh, to talk about, uh, so, you know, your question being, what relationship do Sikhs have uh, with the Vaheguru and how, you know, about the interaction and how, um, you know, we, de- we lead our lives on a daily basis. So the interaction is uh, very deep in the sense that when we talk about God, we don't talk about God as an entity being present somewhere in the heavens above. That's not our idea of God. When we talk about God, we talk about God residing within within us, within every single one of us, within every single human being, with every within every single animal, plant, any any living entity that resides in this world. So we talk about God being present um, uh, in all of them. So the metaphor that uh, is used in our scriptures is. Uh, like a drop of water. It's our connection with Vahiguru is like we are a drop of water in the ocean. Can you separate a drop of water? You could probably separate a drop of water from the ocean, but the moment you put it back, it becomes part of the ocean. So that so that is that sort of you know is 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 a good example to give about um, our relationship with Vahiguru. It's something, and and uh, you know we we talk about. Um, constant remembrance of God. So when we talk about um, prayer, when we talk about remembering God, we don't talk about, okay, so this is my devoted time and this is the only time that I'm going to, you know, try and connect with Vahiguru, with God. We, we don't see it that way. We talk about constant remembrance. So 24 hours a day, you know, whether we are uh, uh, going about our daily activities, whether we are eating, you know, a, a meal, you know, whether we are uh, interacting with somebody else, whether we are lying down or no matter what we are doing, we, we, we are in constant remembrance of God. So it's a pretty deep level in that way. That's pretty incredible. And I really liked your metaphor about the drop of water in the ocean. That it's a really profound way of looking at things. So you mentioned Wahe Guru, and then there's a lot of gurus in Sikhism like Guru Ramdas, Guru Nanak, or Guru Gobind Singh. Uh, what does it mean for uh, Sikhs for someone to be a guru? Yeah, so um, when we talk about Guru Nanak, when we talk about 
Guru Gobind, when we talk about Guru Ram Das, or um, uh, any of the other seven gurus that you know we did not mention here, um, they uh, they are basically our teachers. They are our guides. Uh, they are the ones who help us. Um, they lead us to God. It is through um, the message that they have laid out the or the method uh, or the understanding that they have laid out for us uh, that we find God. It is important to make the distinction that we don't treat the gurus themselves as God. We uh, consider them uh, as the true gurus in that they are aware of the true message of the true understanding of this world. So we give them that utmost respect. We still don't call them God himself. So uh, there were 10 gurus uh, who established the Sikh faith between roughly 1500 and 1708, and uh, starting with Guru Nanak. And um, uh, we also believe that while Guru Nanak was the one who started and there were nine other uh, physical forms, it was Guru Nanak himself, the soul of Guru Nanak himself, that went from guru to guru up till Guru Gobind Singh. And finally, when Guru Gobind Singh, the 10th guru, uh, uh, before departing the world, he uh, uh, gave the guruship to the scriptures, the Guru Granth Sahib. So now we consider the Guru Granth Sahib as our teacher. And the respect that we give to Guru Granth Sahib is like, is we treat the Guru Granth Sahib as a living entity. So when you walk into a Gurdwara, you know, consider that, you know, if there is a king who is sitting on a throne, you go and bow down in respect and you do so many other things that way. So we treat uh, the Guru Granth Sahib, uh, who is our present Guru uh, for the Sikhs. Uh, we, uh, uh, we, we uh, consider the teachings in the scriptures to be our uh, present Guru and that is what we rely upon. Thank you for sharing that. And that's also part of uh, one of the misconceptions that I've noticed is that a lot of people, they think that, oh, that just means that they're like gods, but that's not true. And then I've also heard the word saint used, but from what you're telling me, that's not really an accurate term either to describe the gurus. They're more like these uh, enlightened people that carry on the teachings of Guru Nanak. So, uh... Uh, definitely enlightened beings and um, there is the mention of saints in the six scriptures as well so there is a lot of regard given to saints um, in the scriptures uh, by the gurus themselves the gurus themselves laid out the importance of saints um, the important distinction still remains I think one thing about um, uh, the Sikh philosophy is what the gurus explained to us is that uh, any human being can make a direct connection to God. We don't have to go through somebody. We don't have to go through, we don't need uh, uh, somebody who, through which we have to find God. The only person, the only help that we look for is somebody who guides us to that direct source uh, themselves. So the, that's what the gurus did. The gurus laid out a way to directly connect to God. And through their, through their teachings, 
uh, we try and accomplish that. We can take the help of saints. We can take the help of other people who themselves have learned, who themselves uh, uh, know how to do it. But we, 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 in no way do we consider them as God themselves. And the only help they would, they would give us is to connect with God directly himself. So uh, I apologize for being wrong earlier about the saints. So what do the saints mean to six? So uh, let, let, let me, uh, you know, probably elaborate a little bit more. There's a lot of, um, 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 uh, you know, there's a lot of people who claim that they know the way. Uh, I would like to make the distinction, and I believe what you might be alluding towards is people who claim that they know the way, but they might not necessarily know the way. So there is an absolute distinction between people who do know the way and people who do not know the way. So people who do not know the way and uh, are simply preaching, they simply go about preaching, you know, obviously we would not uh, reach out to them. Obviously we would not, uh, uh, you know, get into details or depths or spend time, you know, either arguing with them or talking to them about it. Uh, once we know that, you know, these are not the people um, who know what they're talking about. So yes, back in India or even other places, including in the US, you will find a lot of people who might say, you know, that you should listen to me and you should follow me. Uh, that's not what we do. Um, we don't think, you know, we don't consider that you know, saints are a plenty. Uh, being saint, a, a saint or a saintly person is, is something uh, not that easy to achieve. So um, neither neither do we uh, actively go out looking for saints. The only thing we actively do is read the scriptures and try to understand the scriptures. And if anybody helps us understand the scriptures, we respect and appreciate them for that. But apart from that, we do not actively seek out saints or anything like that. Okay, I appreciate you clearing that up because I feel like that's one of the things that sort of gets lost in translation, but also it's probably a little bit of a Christian bias because mm -hmm. in Catholicism, the saints are also important, but a saint in, in Catholicism is very different from a saint in Sikhism. So I feel like it's important to make that distinction. And then for me to try to work through my own biases since I was not raised in a sick environment. So there's a lot that I still don't know and that I'm hoping I can learn and try to spread my awareness more. Yeah, definitely appreciate that. And you, you raise a very important point about, um, uh, you know, biases which can exist. So for instance, we're communicating in English. So a lot of the vocabulary that we're, you know, bound to use is going to be similar to what you might find in, uh, you know, uh, contemporary Christianity, for instance, you know, assuming in, in North America, you know, assuming that a lot of that goes on in English. So, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, usage of certain words, and in this example, usage of the word saint, for instance, is going to lead one to believe uh, based on their prior understanding. So, yes, definitely getting into the nuances of things. Uh, I think that is key to understand any faith uh, or any philosophy in general. So, so that's that's an excellent way of uh, looking at it. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the way you've been 
clearing these things up for me and then the way that you explain that as well and also like that sort of goes for creation too since um in Sikhism I would say it's not as like concrete as in Christianity because in Christianity it's like really straightforward like this is how it happened this happened God did this on that day but in Sikhism, it's more like Wahe Guru just sort of spoke things into being. Would that be correct again? I'm sorry if I, I feel like I'm still approaching this with my own sort of bias. So it's 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 a it's a good understanding that you're bringing out again. Actually, already given you say that you know you're not from a Sikh background, so uh, what you have you know uh, what you have said is essentially correct that. Um, the creation of the world is spoken about um, uh, through the Shabbat or through uh, through words. So the idea is that the word was the world was created uh, through the Shabbat or through the words of Vaheguru, and it has to go back through that medium as well. So that is why it is given importance. The the uh, importance is given to the scriptures, the words contained in the scriptures. Uh, because we came from there and we have to go back there. So um, on a fundamental level, what you're saying is absolutely correct. And um, again, the word creation can be, uh, can, uh, you know, for a lot of people that would have a pre-existing meaning. And I use the word creation a lot. I might not necessarily use it in the sense that a lot of people might be using it, especially people from, uh, uh, the Christian philosophy. Uh, when I use the word creation, I mean everything that is created. The means of creation uh, is something that can be talked about. Uh, you know, whether it happened over a few thousand years or whether it happened over millions of years. The six scriptures uh, definitely uh, talk about the process of creation as uh, uh, and the universe. There is reference to that. There is reference which says that um, this world has been created and destroyed so many times before. Uh, there are numerous or countless um, worlds in this universe. So, um, um, and the world has been in existence for a long, long time. There's, there's quite a few things that uh, are mentioned in the six scriptures. Having said that, what is not important is how old the earth is. What is not important is, uh, uh, you know, how the creation, uh, you know, the, the process of creation itself. What is important is that if, uh, you know, uh, if I were to try and understand uh, this entire universe, it's, it's not an easy task. So instead of trying to spend time doing that, I would rather spend time um, worshiping the one who actually created it and trying to live in harmony of that creation itself and uh, do my role in that. I think time is better spent doing that than debating about how the world was created and getting into those nitty gritties. 
I've noticed that a lot too. And it's really common in Christianity for people to have pretty heated debates over how long it actually took because the Bible says seven days, but people said, well, what did a day mean back then in those times? Is that really our equivalent of years or months or centuries or thousands of years, you know, and people can get very, very heated on either side and they all have very strong convictions and then also arguing over other aspects of creation in the faith but for the six it's more like important that we're here right now and that we do something about the life that wahe guru has given us absolutely that's very well put thank you that's kind of you to say that so my next question is what are haumai and nimrata and how do they contrast each other so uh, 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 again uh, two important words which are used in the in the six scriptures the guru granth sahib again and again haume and nimrata so uh, they actually uh, uh, almost mean the opposite of each other haume is our ego and nimrata is humility. Uh, Hame is what keeps us away from making that connection with Vaheguru. Hame is what keeps us away from being what Vaheguru wants us to be. So Hame is the mindset that, you know, when a person thinks that they are in control of things, that things should go uh, the way they want things to go. And when that doesn't happen, that doesn't make a person happy. Uh, you know, not a lot of people are going to be happy talking to a person who displays a certain level of homie or ego, right? When a person is uh, obsessed with themselves and what they think about, um, that's in general not a you know good quality. I think whether socially or or from a spiritual point of view, uh, it's not an acceptable quality. Um, so Hame is what is uh, to be beaten. Hame is what which we have to get rid of. The ego is what which has to be uh, gotten rid of. And the way to do that, of course, is through Nam. And in the process, in the process, what we expect is that through Nam, once we slowly, so the idea of Nam here is uh, uh, can be detailed in that Nam explains to us why that home is false, why that home is not useful, why that ego is not going to go with us, how that ego can only destroy us and not help us. So it clarifies that this world, uh, which was not created by us, if it was created by us, then maybe we could have our way, but it is not, right? I mean, there are billions of people in this world, and if everyone wants to have this, you know, have their way, uh, I, I don't know how such a world would function. The only way that would happen if we call this one world, you know, one universe, uh, and if you consider all uh, humans equal, uh, you have uh, Vaheguru who is running this world. And uh, once we start to gain that understanding, once we imbibe that thought process within ourselves, then we are not uh, uh, obsessed with uh, you know, having things happen our way alone. And that le leads us to the stage of nimrata or humility. Um, 
And uh, when I talk about humility, humility is also the recognition of God in our fellow human beings. So, you know, whether I'm talking to uh, another person, uh, sick or not, so somebody like yourself or anybody else for that matter. So uh, recognizing the presence of God uh, in all of us. So Nimrata leads us to that understanding. Uh, uh, so Nam leads us to that understanding and imbibes and brings that Nimrata inside us. It makes us humble. It makes us understand how the world really runs and how we can, in a harmonious manner, be a part of this world. That's a great point to make. And really, I just, that's not a happy way to live your life through How Am I, where you're just so concerned about yourself all the time. And, oh, I hope that these things happen to me. And, oh, what do these people think of me? And, oh, I want this and I want that to happen. And then if I don't get my way, I'm going to make sure that everyone knows I'm upset that I didn't get my way. You know, I mean, we've all struggled with that at some point, but just not, not a fun way to live. And I like that point too. Like, I feel like when things don't always go our way, it can sometimes be better that they didn't and that it provides these new opportunities and sometimes they're actually better opportunities than if we had gotten our way so uh yeah so so so, so you know so i think that's an experiment we all can conduct with our own selves you know when we um uh, you know when, when we do let things happen um out of our control and see how things might turn out. It's uh, the uh, the challenge over there is that we might not see the results immediately. It might take a while to uh, appreciate the events of the past of why some you know something happened in a certain manner. And obviously, being patient through that process uh, is extremely important. But um, uh, Yes, that does happen. And I think a lot of us uh, do realize that, okay, the way things turned out, they did not turn out as I wanted them originally, but um, they did turn out a certain way. And in hindsight, some of us do realize that they turned out better than uh, we would have thought so. So my next question is, what is Mukti and what does it mean to you as a Sikh? So, uh, Mukti is uh, another important concept uh, in the South Asian religious tradition in general. So, you know, uh, so some of these concepts are not necessarily unique to Sikhi. What might be unique to Sikhi is uh, the way we see them. So, uh, so the concept of Mukti is so a common belief in the South Asian uh, religious traditions is that. Um, we as uh, uh, human beings or we as souls basically uh, are in the cycle of life and death and um, this body that we acquire these are like clothes that we wear in the morning and then uh, you know we change them the next day so the body is something which is you know we will uh, give away someday but that soul still remains and until we get into another life form. So, and sort of that process repeats and that process repeats until we are able to merge with Vahiguru himself, until we are able to find God. And 
that that basically is mukti when you're able to beat that cycle of life and death and you're able to merge with vahiguru that that is mukti and um, that happens when we are able to rid ourselves of our home for instance and any other evils uh, that might be present inside of us so um having said that so mukti is definitely important that in a way is our goal that we want to merge with vahiguru as 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 a, you know a sick person having said that um the gurus also uh, laid more importance the guru said that in a way mukti is not what you should be thinking about so there is a line uh, in in the guru granth sahib it says rajna chahu mukt na chahu manpreet charan kamlare basically it says that i do not want any raj or i do not want any kingdoms i don't want to rule over this world mukt na chahu neither am i looking for mukti neither am i looking for this uh, freedom what i'm really looking for is uh, to enjoy your love is to sit by you and to enjoy being in your presence and of establishing that connection of love because that connection of love itself is going to lead us to that mukti so if my goal is mukti i can still be misled because i'm still having a selfish purpose in mind but when i'm talking about love unconditional love uh, for vahiguru then basically i have nothing attached uh, you know i i i i'm not doing things for a reason anymore i'm doing them unconditionally out of love and that is what is going to lead to my mukti so the basic goal is basic is is to realize that love within ourselves for vahiguru for our fellow human beings and for the entire universe and that it's that is what is going to help us to uh, you know uh, get that mukti so uh, as a sikh that is what mukti means to me and uh, uh, you know everything becomes interrelated when i talk about naam vaheguru mukti and that love so everything sort of becomes interrelated and uh, 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 and 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 then you know mukti is something which comes automatically then then it's 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 like saying you know we might say uh, 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 you know so a lot of professionals you know when they're talking with each other they might say my goal should not be a promotion my goal should be to do well uh, at work if i do well at work then in a fair and honest system the promotion will come automatically so that's how i see mukti as well i like that way of viewing it and not seeing it as like a, a prize to be won to strive for but rather as a state of mind that eventually comes to people through their actions and their thoughts yes so my next question is that six wear several sacred garbs that have sometimes been referred to as the 5k's and one of them is called the kirpan and that's a a small ceremonial dagger now this has led to some misunderstandings in the past by non-sex and there was uh, an event that happened in my state Maryland and I know you're located in Boston Massachusetts so what happened here was um someone saw a sick man's kirpan and they did not understand what it meant so they assumed it was a weapon and he was taken into police custody and eventually he was released but 
this has led to other misunderstandings for other people. So how do you view the Kirpan and what does it mean to you as a Sikh? So, uh, uh, so the example that you have given is definitely uh, a challenge which some of us Sikhs face from time to time. And I think this has been more uh, so since 9-11. Uh, um, I think uh, Sikhs being uh, brought into police custody or sort of being more under the radar of, you know, uh, either the authorities or even regular people. Um, the Kirpan is um, uh, something uh, very important to us. It has uh, meaning more than just being a dagger that we carry with us. So I would like to break down the word kirpan. Um, the root word is kirpa, and kirpa is to have mercy. So it's sort of in the South Asian languages, the word kirpa means uh, to do something good, to have mercy, to have compassion. So uh, the purpose of a kirpan is basically to uh, uh, is to do good. So if if I talk about a dagger in general. Uh, people can use a, a, a knife or a dagger or a sword in many ways. But the meaning that is given to the six is that we keep this weapon upon us and we keep this only to do good. So which means we use this if we have to protect either ourselves or anybody else in times of need. We don't use it for any dishonest or any other bad purposes. So that is why. Uh, this specific word has been given to uh, the dagger that we carry. Uh, we could call it talwar. A lot of people, uh, another word which is commonly used is talwar, but we don't use that word. We specifically use the word kirpan. That is the meaning that uh, uh, it carries for us. And the idea is that, uh, uh, so Sikhi has a long uh, martial tradition as well. And Sikhs have been soldiers since the inception of the faith. And what the gurus believed is that being a saint is not enough. A true saint is one who is able uh, to defend their beliefs and to defend what they preach unto their death. So that is why it is important to become a soldier as well. So being a saint and just sitting down um, and doing devotional worship is not enough. You have to be part of society and you have to make sure that what you're preaching is uh, being carried out as well. Now, of course, in today's day, you have uh, much better, uh, uh, you know, law enforcement than you had maybe a few hundred years ago. I also recognize the things that are coming, you know, uh, uh, into light in this year with respect to some of the deficiencies of the law enforcement. But by and large, the law enforcement system that we have is much better than what we had maybe in the days of the wild, wild west or even before that and in any part of the world. So uh, fortunately, you know, we do not have to use the Kirpan as often as we might have had to um, uh, even a few hundred years ago. But uh, having said that, um, uh, we still recognize the importance of being ever vigilant. Um, and there have been instances um, in today's date as well, in, in recent times as well, in North America as well, thinking about 
uh, when um, there was an attack at a Gurdwara in Oak Creek in Wisconsin in 2012. And um, uh, the, 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 the president of that Gurdwara, uh, while he was shot, he had a kirpan with himself and he used that kirpan to attack the, uh, the white supremacist uh, who was, uh, you know, who had a rifle and who was shooting people. So that's an example of a kirpan which was used to uh, protect other people who might have lost their lives. So uh, it is an integral part of our faith. It is an, you know, it's something that I keep on myself, on my personal self, uh, all the time. Um, it's it's like uh, what a, a gun is to a cowboy, right? I mean, the way uh, we talk about it in, in the U.S. Uh, so the kirpan. That is how we keep the kirpan on ourselves all the time. And the important point, of course, is that we only use it uh, for the right purposes. Those are some excellent points you made there. And thank you for sharing that one example of the attack on the Gujwara. And I feel like that really embodies the real use behind the kirpan because it's supposed to be about helping to defend those who might not be able to defend themselves. And that's what he did during that very dark time is use it to defend the other people that were at the Gujara that might not have been able to protect themselves given that situation. And I also want to highlight that I just think it's a huge hypocrisy that people get so upset about the Kirpan because I see other people that are non-six that have big knives in their belt or big gun holsters and they're much more visible, much larger, and honestly, they can definitely do more damage. Like if you have a gun, that's definitely going to cause more damage than if you have a kirpan tucked away. And, you know, these people, they have the same reason, like, oh, well, it's just to protect myself in case anything happens. I'm not going to go around shooting people and stabbing people, you know. So that was another point I wanted to bring out. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that. Now, you mentioned earlier about the military history that Sikhs have, and many of them are members of the Army and the Navy. So what are some of the challenges that Sikhs face who wish to enter or are a part of the U.S. Defense Force, and in what ways do they compromise their service with their faith? So um, uh, that's another good point about being a Sikh in today's date in North America, or let me be specific about the United States, uh, because we did talk about how the Sikhs have um, uh, this long martial tradition. And Sikhs have been soldiers, have been trained soldiers. We have, an, we have our own martial art called Gatka. Um, and um, it is an important part uh, of, of us as a community. And, and it is something which the Sikhs have brought with ourselves to the United States as well. We do believe that, you know, uh, a land which has given us opportunities and which has let us grow as a community, we uh, are indebted to that and we should do, you know, play our role in giving back to that as well. So a lot of Sikhs absolutely want to serve in the uh, defense forces, the U.S. defense forces, and not just the defense forces. We can talk about police departments and other law enforcement agencies across the United States as well. However, 
uh, a lot of them do not want to do that uh, why, uh, by choosing uh, between either that or fully following their faith, and which boils down to being able to keep their turbans, sick men and some women as well today, being able to keep their turbans and the men being able to keep their beards as well and being allowed to serve. And um, th that is a challenge today because uh, I don't think there is full exemption uh, given to any people uh, in the United States Defense Forces. Um, uh, I know the situation keeps evolving and they keep uh, changing the laws around that. I do understand that um, until a few years, few years ago, if anybody wanted to sport facial hair, um, including for religious reasons, you basically had to take permission from the Secretary of Defense. I think that law has now changed and now you don't need to go that high, higher up. You can now, it's either your uh, battalion commander or um, uh, you still need to take permission. The point is you still need to take permission. So it's not something that you can just de facto, you can serve in the military um, while keeping um, your hair and your beard. So uh, uh, that becomes a huge deterrent. I'm thinking about the high school kid, you know, who is already planning his or her, her future. And uh, they want to be able to serve and keep their faith. And if they know that there's going to be a lot of hurdles ahead, a lot of them will think, will, you know, will reconsider their options and might just get into something else. A few people might have to, you know, they might make that uh, uh, big decision and probably compromise on their faith. Um, there are also instances where people who uh, did uh, decide to cut their hair, for instance, and started serving in the military, but at a later point, um, uh, they wanted to grow back their hair. So they wanted to become, uh, 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 you know, full participating six in the army. So there have been challenges around that as well. I think the idea is that if you consider the US an inclusive society, one which is welcoming uh, of all uh, faiths, traditions, and cultures, we will be able to see the importance um, uh, of uh, trying to be, uh, 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 of, of learning from other traditions, of understanding how that while we had certain rules in place for a long time, they might not necessarily uh, uh, mean the best thing all the time. So um, uh, while for a long time there has been, I understand that uh, uh, you know there's a certain um, uh, look which has been prescribed in, in in the U.S. military, but that in itself is is uh, just for the sake of it. It it can be become something meaningless when you have started welcoming people from different parts of the world, which have a different style of thinking, which have different traditions and different meanings to things, then an inclusive society would give importance to that um, and start thinking around, you know, think what is more important for us, whether it is to keep a certain, certain tradition about how uh, a groomed a soldier should be in the US Army or to be inclusive and accommodate uh, 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 those people as well. Thank you for sharing that. And then you bring up some good points about uh, military history in the U.S. too, and that they always had that certain look with the buzz cut and no facial hair. 
end. I know some places have started changing the rules, like I live in Annapolis, which is right next to the Naval Academy, and they've started to rework rules so that people can wear turbans if they choose and that they don't have to cut their hair if it's for religious reasons. And I think there's still uh, a pretty long ways to go, but that is a pretty big advancement because it used to be that everyone had to cut their hair or it would be super difficult to try to opt out of it even if you did have a genuine religious reason for it and they said oh well the hair will get in the way but you know that's what the turbans for it so it won't get in the way of anything and they're starting to change those rules all over exactly so. yeah and i think uh, you know we can also take an example um from canada because what is important here is that uh the current defense minister or the equivalent of secretary of defense in the united states the current defense minister of canada harjeet singh sajjan is um a fully adherent sikh person who wears a turban and uh, keeps his beard he's a combat veteran he has served in afghanistan in the past and uh, you know when there was the point about uh, masks not fitting uh, along with a beard, he actually um, changed the design of masks to accommodate beards as well. And he used them successfully. And a lot of other people have used them successfully. And now, you know, he has the honor of serving as the Minister of Defense in the Canadian federal government. So there is uh, evidence to that. And I think the United States would do well learning from that too. That's definitely an incredible story about how he was able to accomplish so much in that period of time, but also how he found ways to accommodate to help others. Yes. So my next question is, um, what are some common misconceptions about Sikhism that you encounter? Yeah, so um, uh, that's a good question again, because um, I understand that a lot, a lot of people in the West might have sort of a, uh, a uniform understanding of South Asian uh, religious traditions in general. Um, th there's a lot of religions that are born out of South Asia, you know, apart from Sikhism, uh, there is Hinduism, there is Buddhism, um, there is Jainism, and, 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 and there are other uh, faith systems as well. And um, it is my understanding that a lot of people, when I speak with people over here, a lot of people um, uh, think about uh, Sikhism included as, okay, the main ideas are that we need to meditate and there is a certain way to meditate and there is um, a chanting involved and that chanting is the key uh, to finding God. And some of these things are absolutely not true of Sikhi. So when we talk about meditation, when we talk about chanting, um, um, uh, so, so uh, these mean completely different things to us. When we talk about meditating, and we talked about this earlier uh, in the show, you know, that we talk about constant remembrance of God, 24 hours, whether we are uh, awake or asleep. So that cannot be achieved by sitting you know, assuming a certain pose and trying to uh, meditate in a certain manner. We cannot do that 24 hours a day, right? We have to go about living our lives as well. 
So meditation in Sikhi is basically uh, is constant remembrance of God. Uh, the word given to that is Simran. And uh, that Simran is done. Uh, the idea is that we need to learn to do that 24 hours a day. Of course, we also sit down and spend that dedicated amount of time where we are reading the scriptures and trying to actively rather than passively actively learn something but then the remembrance or the meditation happens on a continuous basis it's not some we are asked uh, it, it, you know we are asked not not to try and slip on that so um, uh, so that's so that's something that i would like to say you know i think that's a, that's a common misconception so sikhi is not about uh, you know, uh, assuming a certain pose. It's not about meditations. It's not about yoga. It's uh, it's it's a constant remembrance of God. It's about learning from the scriptures. And um, there are other misconceptions as well. Um, a lot of people, um, especially after 9-11, have, uh, uh, you know, based on our appearance, because we wear a turban. And um, that is also the common uh, perception of a terrorist in a lot of people's minds um, because that's what it is shown on TV. That might be true to a certain extent, um, but uh, it, but Sikhi definitely has nothing to do with that. So 99% of the Sikhs that you might, or, or rather 99% of people that you might see wearing a turban in North America are going to be Sikhs. They would have nothing to do with, you know, uh, being a terrorist, having a certain other philosophy, uh, absolutely not. I think it's a social practice to wear, uh, it's a cultural practice to wear uh, a kind of a turban in different parts uh, of Asia. Um, uh, and uh, But it is a common misconception that, uh, you know, I think there's a lot, uh, there's a lot that people have learned over the years, but there are still uh, a lot of people who are not able to make that distinction between who six are and who other people are. At the same time, um, uh, I would not want to belittle uh, another faith. I would not want to uh, belittle the Islamic faith. I have respect for the Islamic faith uh, as much as I have for my own faith or any other faith. Uh, so uh, that also becomes a challenge because, you know, at the, you know, at, on the one hand, we are trying to say, hey, I'm not that Islamic terrorist. At the same time, I'm not trying to give an image that uh, oh, we don't care about uh, Muslims or the Islamic faith, because that's not what we are trying to say. What we are trying to say is that we are not terrorists. So uh, that becomes a little bit of challenge uh, at times. But I'm hoping that, uh, you know, uh, uh, there is gradually more knowledge about six uh, in North America, definitely shows like yours. Uh, help towards that purpose as well. Thank you very much. I appreciate that last part you said, and that's what I try to do with my show. And it was actually that incident in Maryland with the sick man getting taken into police custody that inspired me to create the show because I just thought to myself, if this, these people had just sat down with this man and just talked to him for a couple of minutes and just understood there wouldn't have been any of these problems and all of this hatred and violence wouldn't happen if people just took a couple minutes to sit down and have a real 
conversation and understand and just because somebody might be different from you doesn't mean they're inherently dangerous and oh they're gonna hurt you and they want to destroy things like that's absolutely false yes definitely and then also um i appreciate how you brought up the turban since the turban itself is not inherently a sacred garb since it's not a part of the 5Ks, but it protects something that is, which is uh, cash or the uncut hair. Yes. So you also uh, mentioned the different scriptures and texts for six. And earlier we talked a little bit about the Guru Granth Sahib. So could you explain more, like, are there other sacred texts to six? And how do they use that in their faith? So, um... The scriptures play um, an extremely important role in uh, the Sikh faith or in a Sikh's life, day-to-day -day life. Um, the primary sacred text followed by the Sikhs is the Guru Granth Sahib, like you mentioned. Uh, what makes the Guru Granth Sahib unique is that um, if you look at most of the uh, uh, religious traditions, um, across the world, the Guru Granth the Guru Granth Sahib alone is the one which was compiled by the messengers themselves. In most of the other uh, religious traditions, you had a messenger who shared his message, which was a similar message, you know, across most religions is what I believe at least. And but the scriptures themselves were compiled by people who came after. So based on their understanding of um, what the messenger spoke. So uh, uh, what makes the Guru Granth Sahib unique is that it is something which was compiled by the Gurus themselves before uh, they left this world. And the Guru Granth Sahib um, actually has teachings, not just from the 10 Gurus, but from other saints uh, from South Asia um ranging a period of 500 years so some of the earliest teachings came from uh saints who lived in south asia perhaps in the 13th century and these saints you know of course were not six because there was not you know the sikh faith was not established by then uh so many of them uh might have been born in hindu or in muslim families now what the gurus saw in, in what the saints had to say is that they saw a similar message as to what they were trying to preach. So uh, the gurus did not, uh, so the purpose of creating the scriptures uh, was not to create something dogmatic or a set of rules, which, you know, this is something which is exclusive to Sikhi. And, you know, if you're sick, uh, you know, you are to, you alone are to benefit from it. So they, they wanted to, talk about a universal message of God, which applied to all of humanity. So uh, they believed in, in, in something which everyone could learn from. So uh, for that reason, they went outside and they, they looked at um, uh, 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 poems. They looked at verses written by other saints as well. And uh, finally, they compiled the Guru Granth Sahib. And, and it is 1430 pages. Um, um, it is something which is not uh, uh, changing anymore. It is what we call our living guru in today's date. 
uh, it is what is given the utmost respect. There is nothing higher than the Guru Granth Sahib. Uh, so uh, a lot of the Gurdwaras that are established, for instance, um, definitely back uh, in India and maybe here as well, when the Gurdwaras are established, the physical building uh, is established, it is registered in the name of the Guru Granth Sahib. It is not registered in the name of an individual uh, or in any other institution. So uh, that is the level of reverence given to the Guru Granth Sahib. That is, uh, uh, that is the, the book, uh, the set of teachings that we are asked to go and learn from. There are additional scriptures as well. There is one which was compiled by the 10th Guru, Guru Gobind Singh. Um, uh, uh, it's called the Dasam Granth. So it contains a lot of uh, 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 teachings uh, in addition. Um, we give a lot of respect to that. There is a lot of Kirtan, uh, uh, you know, which is a common uh, Sikh spiritual practice, uh, singing of the verses and the hymns. So a lot of the hymns that are sung are sung from the Dasam Granth as well. Um, so we give a lot of respect to the Dasam Granth as well. Um, and then there are uh, other texts. Uh, 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 for instance, uh, there was a person, Pai Gurdas Ji, who lived uh, during the time, um, he lived during the time of the Gurus. Um, and he uh, uh, prepared a text himself, which a lot of Sikh scholars believe is the key to understanding the Guru Granth Sahib itself. So while it is not given the um, uh, respect that the Guru Granth Sahib enjoys, but it is given importance in that reading that uh, text will help us in turn understand the Guru Granth Sahib as well. So there is that and there are others as well. Um, uh, a lot of them are from a historical point of view, um, but uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, Mostly people would be reading from texts such as these. The Guru Granth Sahib given the utmost respect. And then there is the Dasam Granth. Uh, then there's Pai Gurdas Jidivara um, and a few others as well. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's an important distinction to make between the different texts in Sikhism. So a lot of uh, Gujaras have had to find ways to adapt to some of the new regulations in place because of COVID-19 and social distancing. So what are some of the ways Gujwara Sikh Sangat Boston has had to adapt? Yes, so like any other place, um, uh, it's been a challenge, you know, like any other religious institution or any other institution for that matter, you know, we had to close down our doors as well uh, uh, for a long period of time. We have pretty much uh, followed the Massachusetts state uh, guideline, you know, as it came from uh, the governor's office. And uh, we have been more proactive in that, that we've given at least a couple of weeks. So if, if um, I think close to the Memorial Day weekend, we were given permission to start opening places of worship, but we waited a few weeks beyond that as well. Um, and now the, um, the Gurdwara has finally opened its doors. So previously, uh, the doors were just closed and, you know, you could sort of not just come and go anymore. But uh, finally, they opened the doors. Um, we still are a far, far 
uh, far, far away from having full service. So langar, which is an important part um, uh, of Sikh worship, which is a community meal, which is prepared by volunteers. So that is still not happening at our Gurdwara because we want to make sure that, you know, we don't uh, uh, create an environment where, uh, uh, you know, sort of the Gurdwara or the people become a medium for continuing to spread uh, uh, COVID-19, right? So um, service has resumed. Otherwise, uh, you have the recitation of scriptures going on on a daily basis. Most people are encouraged. There is a, a broadcasting happening. So most people are encouraged, you know, to sit uh, and listen to that, you know, from the comfort of their own homes. Um, if you are visiting uh, the Gurdwara, the temple, uh, you know, people are still welcome to visit. But, you know, you can visit, you can uh, pay your respect, and, you know, you can probably leave soon after that, you know, without sort of like trying to congregate and, you know, uh, get together socially or in any, in any other manner. So uh, it is a challenging time for the community and um, uh, a lot of the things have moved online. So there's kids classes which happen. They are happening online now. So yet another class for the you know, kids to do online. Uh, I'm sure it's not easy for them either. So, uh, but uh, they're still taking interest. Uh, the parents are taking interest, the community in general. Uh, you know, we are keeping in touch with each other. In, in, just like anybody else and um uh you know like everyone else you know we are also waiting for you know things to go back uh, uh to normal as soon as possible yeah uh here in maryland we've started to go into stage three so we're also opening up uh some different uh religious centers but with various regulations and i'm really happy to hear that you've been able to open your doors again albeit with some regulations in place and hopefully one day once uh covid19 gets under control i can visit you all there absolutely we'd be happy to have you here thank you it's very kind so uh what role does prayer play to sex so um so when I think about uh, prayer, um, I, um, I I I still think about Nam. I still think about Simran. I still think about that constant remembrance of God that we have talked about a couple of times now on the show. Um, now, uh, but if I were to expand on that, uh, uh, there are a few ways of uh, uh praying in sikhi so for instance there are these set of um uh daily banis banis are uh, being small portions uh from the uh scriptures that have been extracted uh, you know that we have been asked to read on a daily basis so sort of uh, so you know uh, every day in the morning so there's a set of prayers that we've been asked to read uh, every day in the morning before we start our day um uh, to remind us of uh, 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 of of vahiguru to which sort of serves as our meditation which sort of serves as our guiding force for the rest of the day so there's uh, um, a set of prayers that we've been asked 
to recite in the morning. Then uh, there is a prayer that we've been asked to recite in the evening, one other at night. So these sort of form the daily prayers. Um, in addition to that, um, there is Kirtan. Kirtan is basically singing of verses, singing of hymns, um, which are either present in the Guru Granth Sahib or in the Dasam Granth. Um, and Kirtan is a very, very, very important part um, of the Sikh style of worship. Um, the idea is that uh, if, if, if you uh, uh, read the Guru Granth Sahib, you will see that the entire scripture is actually set in poetic form. So um, everything is set to music. Everything can be sung to music. Every single verse present in the Guru Granth Sahib can be sung uh, to music. Uh, so detailed is it that um, every verse has been given, uh, has been assigned a melody as well uh, per the South Asian uh, classical musical tradition. So uh, from that musical tradition, um, a melody has been assigned to every verse as well. So uh, if you walk into a Gurdwara when service is going on, you know, you will always see on the stage that there will be a few people who will be singing and they will be singing verses from the scriptures. So all of this sort of, you know, uh, uh, forms part um, uh, uh, of, of praying, of the idea of praying. And praying, if I were to just, you know, sum it up, uh, you know, what it really means, praying is, again, finding a way to connect to God and finding our way of how we fit into this world harmoniously and basically how we can have ourselves carry out the will and the wish of Vahiguru. So when we pray, you know, we are not encouraged to pray to ask for material uh, objects. We are asked to pray to connect with God because God, like we discussed, God, you know, already knows better than us what we need. It's like a pa parents know better than the child what a child needs when a child is small. So using that analogy, uh, Vaheguru already knows better than us what we need. And he is willing to give that to us, but we have to listen to him. So the prayer is to be able to make that connection that we can listen to him. We can follow what he asks us to do so that things remain in harmony, uh, the way we fit into this world, the way the whole world operates. So sort of prayer boils down to that whole idea rather than uh, praying for specific um, things or specific objects. Are there any prayers you would like to share with our audience today? So um, I did go back and I was, you know, uh, thinking about this. And this year, 2020, you know, with the whole pandemic going on, it's it's um, it's the first uh, it's the first time that we can see something which is affecting almost the entire world at the same time, right? So um, so I went back and I. Um, dug up uh, a certain verse uh, from the Guru Granth Sahib, um, which reads, it's by the third Guru, Guru Amar Das Ji. It was uh, uh, written by Guru Amar Das Ji. It says, Jagat Jalanda Rakh Le, 
ਆਪਣੀ ਕਿਰਪਾ ਤਾਰ ਜਿਤ ਦੁਆਰੇ ਉਭਰੇ ਤਿੱਤੇ ਲਿਹੋ ਉਬਾਰ ਸੋ ਦ ਮੀਨਿੰਗ ਆਫ ਥੀਸ ਲਾਈਨਸ ਇਜ਼ ਦੈਟ ਜਗਤ ਥਿਸ ਵਰਲਡ ਇਜ਼ ਬੇਸਿਕਲੀ ਗੋਇੰਗ ਥਰੂ ਅ ਵੈਰੀ ਟਫ ਟਾਈਮ ਨਾ ਆਫ ਕੋਰਸ ਦ ਗੁਰੂ ਡਿਡ ਨਾਟ ਟਾਕ ਅਬਾਊਟ ਦ ਕੋਵਿਡ 19 ਔਰ ਅ ਪੈਂਡੈਮਿਕ ਐਟ ਦੈਟ ਟਾਈਮ ਦ ਗੁਰੂ ਵਾਸ ਲੁਕਿੰਗ ਐਟ ਦ ਸੋਸ਼ਲ ਸਿਚੁਏਸ਼ਨ ਆਫ ਹਿਸ ਟਾਈਮਸ ਬਟ ਇਟਸ ਸਮਥਿੰਗ ਵਿਚ ਕੈਨ ਅਪਲਾਈ ਇਨ ਆਰ ਪ੍ਰੈਜ਼ੈਂਟ ਡੇ ਐਂਡ ਡੇਟ ਐਸ ਵੈਲ ਸੋ ਦ ਵਰਲਡ ਇਜ਼ ਗੋਇੰਗ ਥਰੂ very challenging times um uh, uh, you know this is something that we already know what is happening right now and then uh, in the next half of the line he says apni kirpa tar kirpa we use the word kirpa before as well you know to have mercy to have compassion so guru amar das is asking wahiguru's compassion on on the situation of his times as as i am asking during uh, these times um and then in the next line it says jit duare ubre titte leho ubar would by whatever means possible that you think are right please um save this world so um i uh, i find that this is something which is uh you know most applicable in the present moment and uh, something which is concerning the entire world the entire humanity and perhaps beyond that as well so this is my prayer as well that uh, you know god that wahiguru uh, helps us come out of the situation uh, with the least possible loss uh, as early as possible that's very beautiful and very uh, heartfelt words thank you so much for sharing and thank you again for taking the time out of your day to be here on my show with me now is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we leave i would i would like to thank you for uh you know having the show in the first place um and i th- i think that's that you know that's uh, a lot of people might be switching to online modes of learning in a way as well so i think this becomes a good opportunity in that way um i appreciate uh you reaching out to various uh faith traditions including uh the gurdwara 600 boston uh where the community has asked me to thank you uh on a personal level so uh, thank you for conducting the show and thank you for uh having me on your show thank you and i would like to thank the gurdwara 600 boston for all of their help in creating this episode and i would also like to thank the sick community as a whole because if it were not for them i would have never created the show in the first place and i've gotten to meet all of these wonderful and very bright and kind people because of it so it it really means a lot to me to hear that from you and from everyone at the gudwara that's that's wonderful to know sara thank you If you are interested in learning more about Sikhism, one of the major sacred texts is the Guru Granth Sahib, which can be found online for free. Nonprofits such as United Sikhs and Sikh Coalition provide aid to Sikhi who have been victims of hate crimes and discrimination.